there are some clubs that are invisible to the eye that we are excluded from. So we have to create our own club and we have to foster that very important aspect in life, which is networking, not networking in a transactional manner, but networking so that we have a number of voice that champion us and we have a number of people that we can ask advice from. And so LinkedIn to me has been, you know, and I, I, I don't have any uh, stocks and I certainly don't have stocks in LinkedIn. So uh, it's not a, a paid pitch, but LinkedIn has been great for me uh, to spend time on, you know, and to try to uh, to interact with people on LinkedIn. And, um, and so I'll be honest, you know, I, I do spend a, a little too much time on LinkedIn. Uh, but, but it has been useful and, and you know I'm not saying that the only way to do it but I would I would tell any LGBTQ plus people that want to to get the same level playing field than their cisgender or heterosexual peers I would say focus on your network because you might not know it but you are de facto excluded from networks and you know and, and that will be my last point on, on, on this question is that you know I happen to have children and I'm amazed by how much interaction is happening around children and how much interaction yeah. is happening around school. And as you know, a lot of us don't have children. And so we are kind of excluded from this entire bonding, life experience, going to the baseball game, or even mentioning in a conversation that you have children as a way of bonding. That, you know, that has been useful in my interaction with straight people. And so there are a lot of invisible networks we're not part of. And so we need to make an effort to kind of Welcome to the Voices of Inclusion podcast, the place where you'll hear strategic and tactical advice shared by diversity, equity, and inclusion experts. This podcast is brought to you by Matheson.io, the world's first DEI operating system. If you're looking for DEI assessments, benchmarking tools, sourcing support, training, and more, look no further. Go to matheson.io. The link to connect with us is in the description. Let's get back to the episode. Fabrice, you're someone that is doing so many things, um, amazing things, not only for the sake of DEI, but um, for the world. But for for those that aren't necessarily familiar with you yet, um, could you let our listeners know a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, uh, of course. So, um, you know, I'm a Frenchman. You might have noticed it from my very slight uh, accent. And I came (laughs) to the United States when I was 22 to come out. And then I went to work for the World Bank in Washington and um, and I stayed there for 14 years, which maybe was a bit too long. But towards the end of my time at the bank, I became very interested in the topic of LGBTQ people in development. And, you know, the bank was not very ready to hear about it, but, but I worked on that a lot. And then I moved to the United Nations and I worked for four years there on the interconnection between human rights and... Um, and uh, LGBTQ issues. And in fact, I developed standards for the private sector, uh, for the private sector at the time. And then, uh, you know, now I am on my own. I have a a small consulting practice, which work with uh, Fortune 500 companies, but I also just created a new association for LGBTQ plus corporate directors, uh, which is a bit of a niche topic, uh, but it's huge in the US. And then, you know, as you mentioned, a lot, you know, a lot of my time I spent on volunteering with uh, LGBTQ plus nonprofit. Um, I think it's pretty much eight nonprofit now. You know, I'm on the board of Housing Works, which deals with homelessness in New York. I'm on the board of uh, Witness to Mass Incarceration, that is uh, a nonprofit focusing particularly on LGBT people in the uh, criminal justice system. 
Then I'm on the board of uh, Outright Action International, which does LGBT rights abroad. I'm on the I'm the secretary of the International Day Against Homophobia and Transphobia. You know, I'm an advisor to Open for Business. So, um, you know, I, I have a huge engagement in the nonprofit world. Well, I, I do want to ask you about like how you manage your so many projects and how you <laughs> how you're managing so many things. I eat a lot, and uh, when I'm stressed, <laughs> you know, I don't drink. And uh, and I don't uh, I don't do drugs, which uh, which doesn't leave you uh, many options. So uh, so if yeah. I go to a diner, I'll, I'll order the bread pudding and uh, and eat my stress. Um, but you know, I, you <laughs> know I, I, will, I will tell you that besides that, I'm a single father of twin boys. So um, so in, indeed, at times I feel that I might have a little bit too much on my plate. Although my boys are nine years old, and so now they're pretty independent, you know, not sufficiently independent that they can uh, go on vacation by themselves, but pretty independent. That's amazing. Um, and I noticed that you are a prolific writer covering a host of DEI topics. Um, could you talk a little bit about your career as a writer and how that impacts your career as a human rights and uh, corporate social responsibility specialist? Well, so, you know, I'll tell you, I was I was a really good writer in French. Uh, but my dad uh, wanted me to study economics, so my writing career kind of went a little bit astray. And and then um, and then you know now my English is not too bad, but my grammar is not always great. And so uh, so you know from time to time people will point out that you know th there are mistakes in in what I sent out. So you know it takes a bit of courage to uh, to publish things that I'm not always sure about the grammar. But uh, but you know the truth is that I'm I'm slightly um, I'm I'm a bit of an egomaniac and I love to give my opinion, and so uh, so that's the reason why you know I write where I can. But you know I I don't really publish in uh, in uh, in uh, in magazines, right? It's pretty rare that I get to be interviewed by the New York Times. So very often you know it's a medium. And the readership is a bit limited, um, but you know, every Wednesday at 12 p.m., I send a newsletter on uh, LGBTQ issues and business. And I have to tell you that the favorite part of my week is, you know, to call attention to people to what's happening in the world on LGBT issues. You know, this week there was there were those issues with the uh, uh, Iranian lesbian that were condemned to death in in a court, or uh, you know, what's happening in Serbia with Euro Pride. You know, very often business people and activists in the U.S. they don't really have time to to, to pay attention to all the development. So I write about that, and then I love to write about LGBT culture. You know, that's kind of my uh, that's kind of my uh, uh, soft point um, is write about you know movies like Bros or uh, Heartstopper, and uh, you know I'm not sure people are very interested in my opinion, but I love to uh, talk about it. No, that's amazing. Um... I, and I love the fact that you stated that, you know, that it, it it takes a lot of courage to share your opinion, especially when you know that um, hundreds or thousands of people are going to be, um, you know, basically having an opinion about your opinion. So um, do you ever get into like conversations in the comments about um, some of the topics that you discuss? You know, that's so funny that you say that because yesterday I was at the US Open and and you know, and and in the middle of the of of the game, I think it might have been the the women's game. I was on my cell phone. I was telling to the, I was telling to the guy next to me that on Wednesday, when the newsletter is sent out at twelve p.m., I'm always stressed out. <laughs> someone is going to write and be like, "What is this? How dare you say that?" And, <laughs> and you know, it does happen. It does happen to me. I misgender uh, a famous athlete uh, once. 
and I get flogged uh, horribly by an activist in Texas for it. Um, you know, I also sometimes, you know, sometimes uh, I will say things that are a little too blunt or frank. You know, uh, one time I said that the that the programming uh, of the Glad Media Awards was longer than the red carpet, uh, which is huge at the Glad Media Awards, and uh, Glad was not very happy. Um, so, you know, I'll be very honest with you, there's usually a second set of eye that will remove if I say something that is a little too controversial, you know. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure some people may not even comment, but they're like, that was good. I love that. <laughs> no, you know, from time to time, some people will, um, will send me, you know, I love it, actually, when I get feedback. It's awesome. There's nothing I love more. And, uh, you know, uh, one time I was talking about the election in Australia and I talked about the president of Australia. There's no president in Australia, I think the prime minister. And so someone wrote to me and was like, no, we, we don't have that. And um, <laughs> you know, I kind of love if, it, if it's, you know, then I will publish an erratum and uh, uh, I kind of love to get feedback. Um, but, you know, awesome. it's interesting because, uh, I, you know, that's something that I really enjoy is the kind of giving people... Uh, uh, a small review of what's happening at the interconnection of LGBT and business in the world. And, uh, you know, it feels like it's a service that I'm providing and it's something that I enjoy doing, you know, so, so I love that. That's amazing. Um, and, you know, when you talk about the intersectionality piece, um, what would you say is the most prevalent issue that we're facing today in the DEI sphere, so to speak? Um, and also what are your thoughts uh, around the potential solutions? Well, you know, that's really interesting because if you, if, if you have a global approach, mm -hmm. the vast majority of LGBT people live pretty horrendous life. And in a connected world, it's extremely difficult to tell a lesbian that is living in a secondary city in Tunisia, oh, you know, don't worry, you will never get to live the life you see in La Vida Del or a league of their own. Uh, but in three generations, there will be a couple of lesbians that will live happily ever after in Sidi Boussaid. Like, it's very cruel yeah. to tell people, no, that's not for you, you know. Mm -hmm. Lesbians in urban areas in America have a life of dignity and opportunity, but that's not for you. And so, in a way, there is an urgency for social change that sometimes you forget, right? You cannot have a gap between my experience as a gay man. I never encounter homophobia. In fact, sometimes being gay in urban area is kind of an advantage. And then similarly, you know, I, I, I was able to, uh, to have children, which is the joy of my life. If I was in France, it would not be possible, right? How can you explain that? How can you explain that depending on where you live, you can have children or you cannot have children, right? That's extremely unfair. And so, you know, I think sometimes we forget that, that that's probably the most important thing on a global level. Now, if you look at the United States where I live, and of course I'm, I'm very interested by what's happening here. I think the biggest issue we have is that not everybody has experienced progress at the same pace. And now yeah. people that made a place for themselves under the sun will uh, sometimes be a bit hesitant to be supportive of the most marginalized. And you know, there is a type of white gay men, uh, you know, which are Andrew Sullivan white gay men. You know, which believe that trans issues have nothing to do with them, that is actually undermining our agenda. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes, you know, buying to the talking point of people that are instrumentalizing trans issues for political gain. So that that might be the biggest bottleneck we have in the United States is that our fight is far from over, 
But the one that founded and championed the fight, sometimes they are becoming a bit evident to continue it because they have created a place for themselves under the sun. Mm. That's really interesting. I mean, and I, I love the fact that you have such a strong voice uh, when it comes to these types of challenges in the world. Um, and I think the fact that you have such a great voice, it seems like, you know, it, it led to you having so many awards, um, uh, especially as a leader in the DEI space. Um, and this this year, you've been listed among uh, the board's, board lists, 10 LGBTQ plus candidates you'd be proud to have in your boardroom. LinkedIn's top 10 LGBTQIA voices and Crane's New York notable LGBTQ for this year. So um, for our DEI professionals that are listening, whether they're earlier in their career or um, maybe later in their career, what should we do in order to attain such success in the DEI space? Um, I know a lot of it probably has to do with your courage um, and ability to articulate your 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 points. But, um, but yeah, what, what do you think? Well, you know, you're being very generous. I, I don't always feel that I'm incredibly successful, but I have to tell you that the LinkedIn uh you know the linkedin recognition really meant a lot to me and you know that's interesting because i was a, always a bit of a, a, a facebook guy you know i love to post my uh private yeah. life on facebook mm -hmm. and um and i i became very involved in uh in linkedin and and i love the fact that linkedin acknowledged well wow that that guy is trying to share relevant news on the lgbtq issues we are going to say that he's in a, an important voice you know it really meant a lot to me and uh, and it came as a surprise you know it was like a few months ago it came as a surprise for pride and you know i was really happy and I, i'll tell you that maybe that would be my one recommendation is that as lgbtq plus people we do not have the same access organic access to a number of networks and in the United States, networking is incredibly important. Sometimes it's more important than your skills. And LGBT people will live at the margin of those networks. And in fact, you know, my engagement on uh, trying to improve the numbers of LGBTQ plus people on corporate boards, it's very much linked to the fact that we do not vacation in Martha's Vineyard. We are not on the board of the PGA. And so we live a little bit at the margin of those important ecosystems. And, you know, that's not only our experience, that's the experience of African-American, that's the experience of Asian-American, of um, Latinos, women, is that there are some clubs that are invisible to the eye that we are excluded from. So we have to create our own club. And we have to foster that very important aspect in life, which is networking, not networking in a transactional manner, but networking so that we have a number of voices that champion us. And we have a number of people that we can ask advice from. And so LinkedIn to me has been, you know, and I, I, I don't have any uh, stocks and I certainly don't have stocks in LinkedIn. So uh, it's not a, a paid pitch, but LinkedIn has been great for me uh, to spend time on, you know, and to try to, uh, to interact with people on LinkedIn. And, um, and so I'll be honest, you know, I, I do spend a, a little too much time on LinkedIn uh, but, but it has been useful. And, and, you know, I'm not saying that the only way to do it, but I would, I would tell any LGBTQ plus people that want to, to get the same level playing field than their cisgender or heterosexual peers, I would say focus on your network because you might not know it, but you are de facto excluded from networks. And, you know, and, and that will be my last point on, on, on this question is that, you know, I happen to have children and I'm amazed by how much 
interaction is happening around children and how much interaction yeah. is happening around school. And as you know, a lot of us don't have children. And so we are kind of excluded from this entire bonding life experience, going to the baseball game, or even mentioning in a conversation that you have children as a way of yeah. bonding. That you know that has been useful in my interaction with straight people. And so there are a lot of invisible networks we're not part of. And so we need to make an effort to kind of palliate to that. That's amazing. I'm glad that you shared that because, um, yeah, I do agree that this, there's kind of um, these separate clubs uh, that people exist within. But um, it is interesting to see that there's so many people that are actually willing to have conversations with you that may not be a part of a specific club that may have some intersectionality with you, but may not necessarily be you know from your college or your state, but they'll be interested in having a conversation with you. So I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up. Um, and you know, in terms of success, I know that you, you you're very like humble um, when it comes to that. But um, how would you define success uh, in DEI from your perspective? Would it be? Um, I mean, I know some people attribute like LinkedIn followers as <laughs> a success metric or something like that. But um, what are some things that you contribute or uh, think of as um, success metrics? You know, to me, the, the, the biggest success matrix is when people ask your opinion. You know, they say, mm. um, they, they say well, look, we are going to do a self-ID effort. And here are the categories we have proposed. Do you mind having a look? Or, you know, we are launching this new product. We don't know if it's going to be offensive to the community. Would you mind looking in your network at some time who could, who could give feedback? Or even I love when people reach out to me and say, Oh, I'm applying for that job. Do you know someone who is LGBT in the company that could tell me a little more about what is the, the climate for LGBTQ plus employees? I think the, you know, being uh, uh, ultimately, you know, now I'm pretty old. I'm 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 44, and you know, even though I don't always, practice, <laughs> even though I don't always practice it in my day-to-day -day life. I am convinced that a life well lived is a life of service to others. And, you know, I, I didn't think like that at all in my 20s and early 30s. But now I'm, I'm convinced that, first of all, you know, if you do place other people's need as, as, as a priority in your life, it tends to pay back for you, you know. And so um, I love it when people ask me for uh, my opinion or ask me for uh, uh, support because it means that they they see me as being uh, relevant in that space, you know. And to me, that's a huge uh, indicator of success. Um, you know, friends and connection on LinkedIn and or Facebook, you know, that comes and go. I, you know, I was huge on Friendster, uh, and uh, Friendster kind of disappeared, you know. So yeah, so um, having a lot of followers on LinkedIn um, that might become irrelevant at some point. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Um, and to that point, how has being involved in eight different boards impacted your career? And what would you do to advise other DEI professionals to do uh, in order to deliver impact in their communities? You know, there was a, a famous uh, lesbian activist that unfortunately passed away way too young a few months ago called Urva Shived. Mm. And I had a conversation with her maybe a year and a half ago, and she said to me, she said, look, nonprofit boards are a way of perpetuating privilege. And, you know, a lot of uh, people, 
people you know that are on on on, on that are on the border philanthropic uh, uh, endeavors it looks like it's extremely altruistic but the truth is that it pays you back you know you um you know first of all it allows you to diversify your contacts right it's you're not only doing your job you also have this non-profit engagement and then the other thing is that you know boards tend to bring in a lot of people that are prominent right in uh so you know I, I I encourage anybody to seek a non-profit volunteer career, right? Because first of all, it allows you to not have all your eggs in your own basket. You know, if your job becomes very frustrating, you can uh, have a positive influence on the non-profit you are championing. But mm -hmm. then also the reality is that, you know, it tends to pay you back, you know, and it comes back to that idea that not everything has to be transactional, you know, you don't really know how things turn out for you. But if you put yourself out there and you are of service, it tends to pay you back. And I'll give you an example. You know, I am on the I, I am on the editorial board of the Women's Forum. And, you know, of course, it's a volunteer uh, position. I love it. You know, it, it has always been uh, uh, extremely instructive. And so it also means that I go to the Women's Forum and um, and it has led to uh, it has led to a wonderful opportunity. Uh, you know, one time I was on a panel and I met someone and, and it has led to a very good opportunity for me. And, you know, I never really thought, well, that's how that's going to benefit me, but it ends up benefiting you. And then, you know, the, the counterpoint to what I said is that we also have to be conscious that board should not just be, you know, white people that have money that are uh, mm -hmm. trying to push their agenda. We, we have to make sure that they are diverse, that there are also ways for people that might not be able to do um, to support the organization financially to join the board. And, you know, one model that I love is the uh, is, uh, housing works because there are two boards. There is a philanthropic board, but there is a board on which you have the staff, you have the beneficiaries, and, uh, and in a way that's the operational board. And I think that's important because too often today, you know, leading nonprofits, uh, just have representative of big corporation on the board rather than having LGBTQ plus people that are affected and have a stake in those organizations. And then the thing we should never uh, forget is that GLAD, the Trevor Project, the Human Rights Campaign, the LGBT Center, this is our common capital, right? It does not belong to the executive director or the board. It belongs to the community. That's something that our the people that came before us invested in. And so we have a stake in those uh, in those organizations, and you know, and I would love to see more beneficiaries and more uh, diverse people join those nonprofit boards. If there was one action that you would urge listeners to take after listening to your episode today, what would that action be? Well, you know, I um, you know, when I was at the United Nations. A group of students would come to me all the time and, and they would say, oh, how can we support human rights? And I would always say, look very closely how you're spending your money. You know, today, particularly in the United States, but, you know, in other parts of the world, the democratic process can be a bit frustrating, you know, and we, we make it that our vote does not really lead, lead to the outcome we want. But we have, and, you know, all of my engagement now is with the private sector, right? Because I believe that we have as a community and with our allies, we have huge leverage as consumers, employees, and investors. And so, you know, I would say 
always consider who you're working for, how you're spending your money, where you are investing your money. That's very important, right? You know, why would you put your money, as an example, in a company that does not have LGBTQ plus representation on their board? You know, isn't that a signal that they do not believe uh, you are worth worthy of being represented in in the higher institution in in this corporation? So, um, I think we have a lot of power as consumers, employees, and uh, investors, and sometimes we don't leverage it enough. Incredibly stated. Thank you, Fabrice. Um... We couldn't end it better than that. I just really appreciate you for joining us for this conversation um, and hearing your perspective on all of the things that you're working on. Um, And thank you for squeezing us into your schedule. (laughs) I hope you have a good rest of your day. No, not at all. I, um, you know, it's a pleasure to be with you. You know, as you know, I'm a huge fan of Madison. So uh, it's a it's a great pleasure. And thank you for uh, the very kind words you have said during this interview. And I hope I see you soon. Absolutely, Fabrice. Talk soon. Ciao. Bye-bye. If you're looking for DEI assessments, benchmarking tools, sourcing support, training, and more, look no further. Go to www.matheson.io and book a call to speak with us. The link is in the description. We're looking forward to connecting with you next time.